Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. All right, stand with me if you would, please. Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse, verse 1. The Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace." For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, who has, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is, law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to go to verse 9, and then what we want to do is see that how everything that's built around verse 9 really hinges on this concept that what was happening in the churches of Galatia is that the doctrine that was creeping in, that the people were justified or proven to be righteous by their conformity and obedience to the law of Moses was a false doctrine and it was already having profound effects on them. It, it, we say this often and there are people that really give us Baptists a hard time because of our emphasis on doctrine. There's a lot today uh, uh, that goes on in the name of church that emphasizes emotion. We believe in emotion, though sometimes when people come to church I wonder if they doubt that. But... We, we do believe in emotion. We believe God gives us an emotion, emotions as a gift from Him. They just need to be in their proper place. Emotions have their proper place. And so many times in the current culture we live in, church is geared to affect the emotions only. And I mean that all over the gamut. Uh, you can run up and all, all, all over the scale on that to where sometimes it is to affect the emotions of of the sense of uh, self-affirmation or, um, you know, the idea of, of self-confidence. Other times it is to stir an emotion of passion. There's some preaching that's loud and, and boisterous, and I understand nothing wrong with loud preaching, but it's very, it's very passionate, and really all it ever affects is your emotion. You may leave there and think, man, I want to go turn the world upside down, then you have dinner and forget what you even heard preached, you know. It just stirs the emotion. While our emotions should be affected, no doubt, the emotions should be affected as a result of the decisions of the heart. God works in the heart of man, and he does so by faith. We respond to God's word in faith, and God does work. And so, very important for us to remember this. I'll just say this. I'll, I'll be transparent with you. Um, there, there are times as a preacher it is tempting to feel that effectual preaching is when it evidently stirs the emotion. So, for instance, if you can preach a message and it brings people to tears, you might feel like, wow, I was very effective today. Tears are not the measure of effectiveness. Obedience is. Obedience to the Holy Spirit of God's leading through His Word by faith, that's the measure. And sometimes it takes years to measure that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, that's, that's the measure. And so... May I just say this, along that context, every doctrine has an effect. This is why doctrine is so important. What we believe 
will determine what we do. And I started to say we Baptists get sometimes a hard time given to us by other folks over the emphasis on doctrine. doesn't bother me a bit because when I open my Bible, it emphasizes doctrine. So as long as we're emphasizing what God emphasizes, we're in good shape. Galatians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with doctrine. Now, he makes his way to their doctrine. They were shifting. Here's, here are churches that are shifting in doctrine. They had been taught that once you come to faith in Christ, you are now justified. That frees you from any kind of bondage thinking that your performance determines your righteousness. The truth is your righteousness determines your performance, not the other way around. Now, the Judaizers were coming along and teaching the opposite. No, if you don't do certain things, you're not actually justified. So, for instance, if the Judaizers that were creeping into these churches came and they got to talking to you, they might open the conversation with, Hi, my name is so-and-so. What is your name? It's very good to meet you. I'm glad to meet a fellow believer. I trust you're a believer. Well, I am. That's wonderful. How many children do you have? Well, we have five children. Oh, that's wonderful. Boys, girls, what do you have? Well, we have three, three boys and two girls. How old are your boys? Well, 12 and 9 and 7. I see, I see. That's wonderful. How old are your girls? Tell how old your girls are. Are your boys circumcised? Uh, no, that's never something we really thought about. Oh, oh, I see. Why do you ask? Well, people that have truly righteous people circumcise their children, their sons. I mean, you can find that right there in Genesis that when Abraham was righteous, he circumcised Ishmael and Isaac. And throughout the scripture, any righteous person that you find, uh, that was the symbol of righteousness. And if your sons are not circumcised, it would certainly make me question if you're a true believer. You with me? That's exactly what they did because that was an aspect of the law that they were especially pulling out as a symbol of conformity to Jewish law. It was evident. If you didn't circumcise your sons at eight days old, you were not a, a Jew. And so they would point out something like that. You'll, you'll, you'll meet people like that in conversation. They're going to talk to you about whether or not you're a true believer and whether or not you're saved. And let me just say this. I start my day right here. If someone tells me I have come to personal faith in Jesus Christ to save me from my sins, I assume that they're saved. There may be aspects of their life that make me question. You say, why would you assume that? Because that's what the Bible says is necessary for salvation. I have met people that have habits in their life. They've got things in their life that are not becoming of a Christian, but they will firmly attest and say, you know what? I am trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone as my righteousness. I'm not about to say, unless they're denying Him, well, I know you're lost. You ain't got a tattoo last week. You're not saved. Look, Christians should not get tattoos, but not getting tattoos is not what makes you righteous. So don't miss me here tonight. I'm not advocating tattooing your body. That's not becoming of a Christian. But how many of you know you can meet someone who's been born again, they got one or two? Maybe even one they got since they got saved. You say, that's not possible. We just, I'm trying to tell you, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God says. And you and I who know that must be careful and don't, again, I, you, you know myself personally well enough, you know the Word of God well enough, we're not saying that the Christian is at liberty, that's what we dealt with last week, to live his life his way. But the moment you start saying performance is what makes you righteous, we're in trouble. That's not the truth. Because you're righteous, do or don't do that. But may I say this, you and I did not become righteous by our performance. May I say this, should not save people be faithful to church? But be careful, you'll find somebody that has come to faith in Christ. They have at some point in time got out of sorts with the Lord. They get out of church and you meet them. The first thing you think is, why are you at church if you're saved? Well, I don't know, but not being in church doesn't mean they're not saved. It means they're out of God's will. Amen? The Galatians, Paul is going to deal very specifically with the fact, the idea that you at one time knew you were free. You knew you had been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and that liberated you to live a life of obedience to God because no longer were you trying to justify yourself, establish your righteousness. You were resting in the righteousness of Christ which enabled you to obey Christ. We labor from our rest. It's the truth. 
We are resting in Christ, and out of that we're able and enabled to serve God. And that's exactly what we've been dealing with. We dealt with that last week on the subject of liberty. But the fact of the matter is, is here's the amazing thing. This doctrine that focused on performance for righteousness, you know the effect it had on them? It was stopping their performance of righteousness. That's exactly what he's going to say. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? Meaning out of their personal faith in Jesus Christ, their confidence that they were justified, they were actually doing a much better job obeying, serving, and working for God until these Judaizers came along and got them entangled with trying to prove their own righteousness through, through, through performance. I said it last week. If you're going to start diving into the law, and this is exactly what the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit of God, says here, if you're going to get entangled again with keeping Mosaic law, there's no end to it. You'll get so wrapped up trying to prove that you're righteous by conformity and obedience to that law, you'll never return to a life of true service to God by faith in Christ if you don't get away from that. We are, we are not justified. The law of Moses has a wonderful, divinely ordained purpose. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And we've covered this so many times. The law was written and is in your Bible to condemn people. That's, it is to prove that you are a lost, hell-bound sinner, unfit for God because it reveals the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man and the fact we'll give an account but it is not there as a, as a means of salvation. It is there as a means of condemnation so that it'll lead you to the Savior. And once you've come to him, you're saved. That's it. That's the gospel. What happened is there were those coming back in saying, no, 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 if you don't do X, Y, or Z, you're not saved. Let me give you a, an example that's kind of close to home. I've dealt with this before. Where I was at in East Tennessee, there's a group of people, we would call them Lordship Salvation Preachers. Some of them were good men that got caught up in this. Some of them were propagators of it, and I'm not sure they were good men. <laughs> what they would do is they would hone in on the aspect of, if you, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. You know, therefore, you know, if any man be in Christ, a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. I'm going to give you an example. I, I know for sure. I knew the man personally that experienced this. This group of preachers would go along they would evaluate the spiritual progress of those that had claimed to be saved. And if there wasn't a level of transformation that they could see evident, they would declare, you didn't really get it. You need to really, uh, the term would be, it didn't take. <laughs> it didn't take. And the means of judging that might be a habit that there still wasn't conquered in life. The one I'm thinking of in particular, I had a friend and he had a tobacco habit. We do not advocate chewing tobacco and destroying your body. How I many you know telling lies and being proud is probably higher on God's list than chewing tobacco <laughs> of things that concern him? Again, don't go chew tobacco. It's, it smells bad, tastes bad, and will rot your teeth out. But when it comes to what the Bible actually says, the lies that roll off of people's lips are far more important than the chewing tobacco that is in some of them. Let's just be, look at this from God's perspective. So this man had made a profession of faith as a young man and wasn't living quite right. So the preachers came through, preached a meeting. He made a profession of faith. He really felt like he got it that time. It was some time later, a year or two later, he still had his tobacco habit. Now he had come to personal faith in Christ, had no problem believing Christ the only way of salvation, had put his trust in Christ, but he hadn't quit chewing his tobacco yet. And I'm, again, I am not advocating he should do that. And he was told, you're lost because that habit is still in your life. So my question is, so you get saved by stopping? Or do you get saved and that gives you power to stop? And that's dangerous. That kind of teaching is dangerous because what it does is it focuses, we all understand there are some things that should and need to be purged out of our lives because we're saved. But the fact of the matter is, it is faith in Jesus Christ that justifies us. And the life that we live may justify us in the eyes of men. But we'll never be any more justified in the eyes of God than the day we came to faith in Christ. Amen? We justify our faith before men by our works. But that's before men. Our faith before men, James chapter 2, is justified by our works. Having said all that, this is what Paul's dealing with. Here's some people that had been 
living in accordance to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for justification, and that was being demonstrated in their lives. They were running the course of sanctification, obedience, holiness, and service, apparently, that God had for them. But Paul says, but a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, meaning something had come into that church that was in these churches that was affecting everyone involved, affecting every facet and every aspect of their lives. And when we read these verses, the, the terminology, and by the way, Picking up this false doctrine didn't make them lose their salvation. The, the, the Armenians love this text of Scripture. You are fallen from grace. Now, the assumption is fallen from grace means you lost your salvation. It's not at all what it means. How I many you know that you are saved by grace, you are sanctified by grace, you serve by grace, you run your course by grace? What Paul was saying is you have quit depending on the grace of God and therefore you are ineffective. I'll, I'll read you the definition of fallen here in a few minutes. It doesn't mean ultimately fallen and utterly fallen away, it means like you've gotten off course. And so then uh, the fact of the matter is he's going to deal with a number of issues that help us understand what this false doctrine was doing to these churches. What will happen is false doctrine will stymie the, the obedient life of a Christian for God. That's its intention, it, and it affects every part of life. So let's consider three things about the leaven that was in the churches of Galatia. Number one, beginning with the source of this leaven, the source of this leaven. I find this very interesting as I'm working to outline this message. I felt compelled we need to get to the, to the bottom of, okay, what was the source of the leaven? If there is something that's in the church and it's you know, just like you put yeast in a loaf of bread and the whole thing starts swelling, it affects every part of the loaf. Well, you get a little bit of false doctrine in a church or get some immorality in the church and it begins to affect the entire life of that church and the lives of the people involved. And that's, that's so true. It's why it's so important for us to know what we believe from God's Word and not be moved from it. The health of this church is dependent on its members not falling for error. We've got to stay rooted in the Word of God. And so then, verses 1 through 4, he's going to nail the source of this leaven. It began with a false persuasion. He would say this in verse 8, this persuasion, this belief you've come to, this, this judgment you've made, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. We'll come back to that verse in a few minutes. Well, what persuasion is he talking about? Well, we've been articulating it already. Verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of none, no effect unto you, Whosoever of you are justified by the law. That's the false persuasion, that we are justified by the law. That's the leaven that was creeping into this, these churches. He said, uh, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So he's dealing with, you, you've got a false persuasion. That's the source of this leaven. Someone's come in and taught you you're justified by the deeds of the law, by what you do in keeping the law. Specifically, he is speaking of the law of Moses, the code laid out for the Israelites to live by as they went through the wilderness, as they established the kingdom. They were being taught, you go back there, keep that law. We know that in the book of Galatians, but it takes him five chapters to articulate specifically, this is what is being taught in these churches that's wrong. Let me just say this. There is a time where false teaching must be pinpointed. May I say this, just so you can understand kind of where, where I come from as your pastor and who preaches to you on a regular basis. Sometimes you may hear me preach on something in a message and you'll think, why is pastor preaching on that? Sometimes there is knowledge that there's false doctrine represented in these chairs and it needs to be pinpointed. We don't believe that. And here's why in the Bible we don't believe that. What we want to do is keep leaven out of the church. We want to keep false doctrine out. You know one of the reasons I regularly call Calvinism by name? Tonight in this message, I've called Armenianism by name. We don't want it. You know what I've watched? How many of you have ever heard of the General Association of Regular Baptists? Okay, uh, some of you have heard of it. At one point in time, they had tremendous, strong, thriving churches. Now, we're not for associations and fellowships and all that. We don't join those. We're independent. But that association was fairly loosely affiliated at one time, primarily by doctrine, and they had some very strong churches. Today, most garb, G-A-R-B churches are either dead 
They're non-existent because they've closed their doors. I can tell you of one in Anchorage, Alaska, one in Mountain Home, Idaho, closed their doors and had to give their buildings to independent Baptist churches because they couldn't meet anymore. I'm thinking of one in another town very nearby that's closed its doors in the last 10 years. I think there used to be one in this town at some point in time. Maybe First Baptist at one time was. I think they're Southern Baptist. But many of them have closed their doors. Do you know what you can primarily attribute that to? Calvinism. There was a time when association churches began to adapt Calvinism into their church doctrine. You can read their Sunday school curriculum today. They incorporate it into their Sunday school curriculum. And what you watch is evangelism and evangelistic zeal go. You cannot disconnect the killing of evangelistic zeal from Calvinism. They'll swear up and down. I know Calvinists who evangelize. I do too. I've heard of some, seen some. But it's the exception, not the rule, number one. Number two, it's very rare to see them actually win people to Christ. They love to argue about the gospel rather than preach it. They like to win an argument, win a debate, prove I'm smarter than you. That's the general rule. It's not always, there's always exceptions. What I'm trying to say to you is it's 11 and it has its effect. Arminianism does the same thing. It's ironic to me that Calvinism and Arminianism both have the same effect on the people that adhere to it. It puffs up with pride, it minimizes God, it minimizes the gospel, it puts things, the emphasis on man rather than God. It's not Calvinism, it emphasizes the sovereignty of God. And those who are just so special enough that they are the elected ones, it is rooted in pride. You know what I'm just saying? And there's other things from time to time that are going to be pointed out biblically. That is not true. There may be times that you're sitting here thinking, what in the world is he talking about and why? I, I pray, pray for your preacher, but there are times the things need to be addressed. Paul's doing it right here. If it's something that the whole church knows about, we'll say, this is what's being brought in here. It's what we need to be aware of. This is what we need to defend against. But here, multiple churches were being taught to go back. And by the way, you study Colossians. You study in the book of Acts. You study in the book of Philippians. This is a problem Paul had to deal with everywhere he went. Is the Judaizers following him along trying to undo the work he had done. People knowing and resting assured that they were saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing, and then being told, not so fast. Don't you rest so fast in your salvation. You're not acting like a Jew, yet you're not really saved. You go back here and keep the dietary laws and circumcise your children, and then you're off to a good start. With me, keep the Sabbath. I'm going to tell you something. I hear somebody start preaching, and you as a New Testament Christian need to keep the Sabbath. I got bells, whistles, and foghorns going off in my heart and mind. That is taking us back to a false gospel. If people want to rest on the, on the seventh day, they have all the liberty in the world to do that. If they want to have service on the seventh day, they can. I don't know why in the world you wouldn't have church on the day Jesus came out of the grave. I can't understand that for the life of me. Why you'd want to celebrate the law more than you would Jesus Christ. I can't understand. I do understand it, actually. It's the same thing we're dealing with right here. You're justified by keeping the law, not by faith in Christ. So that's the false persuasion. Now, they had procured it in a faulty fashion. They had come to this persuasion they're justified by the law. Where did it come from? What I found interesting in this is we don't necessarily know a name it came from. We don't know who, but we do know where it didn't come from. This is very important, I believe. All right, So let's read down here for just a little bit. Verse 6, he says in verse 5, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We are not... Confident in our flesh, waiting by faith. Verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, excuse me, but faith, which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Now, if you were to answer that question, who was it? Who, who hindered them? What was the name of the false teacher that came in? What was the name of the group that came in? We call them Judaizers. Paul doesn't really ever do that here. We just know what they promulgated, the, what they propagated, the false doctrine. And he goes on to say, verse 8, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. That's twice he mentions that. Galatians chapter 1, he says, He marvels that they are so soon removed from him that called them into the grace of Christ. Verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And so the Holy Spirit of God is not only the author of this book, he's the interpreter of this book. And we need to be very careful that we do not fall for a, an abuse of Scripture. Okay, 
Uh, I, I believe the Judaizers don't work without Scripture. No, they'll use Bible. Those who are truly legalists that want to teach you that you're saved or made righteous or justified by your performance of the law and how you obey and, and so forth, they're going to use Bible to back up their arguments. But they're going to have to abuse the Bible to do that. I think one of the most subtle forms of deception available to a Christian today is not someone who wants you they come up and say, you know what, I don't, I don't like the Bible. I've got a better way for you to live your Christian life. I live it based on my philosophy. No, every false teacher's got his favorite Bible verses. They all do. They just abuse them. Uh, we dealt with this in our, in our Bible Institute with our young men, the abuse of Scripture. Satan takes the Bible and then he falsely applies it. And so do the Judaizers. We all know that Abraham was told to circumcise Isaac, don't we? But you know what, you know what the false teachers would do? They would take that and say, see, he was a man of faith, justified by faith. Even Paul, that preacher that's all over the countryside, would say that. And how do we know Abraham was justified by faith? Why, he circumcised his children. He was circumcised. So if you're truly righteous, you'll do the same. Paul goes on to point out, but wait a minute. God called him righteous before he was circumcised. You see, what they did is they cherry-pick a verse and say, see there? And what God says is know the whole thing. Know the, all the counsel of God. Be familiar with all Scripture. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Spiritual things with spiritual. It is our duty to not get duped by someone abusing Scripture. I mean, I, I'll tell you what, Church of Christ do. They love to run over there to Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, that's what it says. But they don't, very rarely they quote the next verse. And he that believeth not, doesn't mention baptism there, is damned. The assumption is if you believe, you're going to get baptized. But if you don't believe, you're condemned. They love Acts 2.38. Uh, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That's what it says, by the way. But boy, they don't like to compare that with what John the Baptist preached and what being baptized for the remission of sins actually means. Meaning, John said be baptized for repentance. So you weren't repentant until you got baptized? Or you got baptized because you were repentant. You see what I'm saying? They cherry pick a verse right here. I believe the Calvinists, they love to grab Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2, or maybe Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become to conform to the image of his dear son. How about let's read the whole context of that? How about let's address Revelation 22 verse 17 while we're doing Romans chapter 8 verse 29? You with me? We need not cherry pick verses, we need to believe the Bible. Believe what it says. And if we come to something that's hard, believe it anyway. <laughs> My point is this. These men that come in, what they did is we don't know who they were. So the first thing I'd say is the faulty procurement of this doctrine was from an undisclosed human source. We never get a name. Sometimes Paul would give names and warning other preachers. Watch out for Demetrius. He did me much harm. Um, this man and this man. Warning Timothy. And he would name people. But here he says, it seems to me the apostle Paul doesn't even know who it is. What he does know is what you're being taught is not from God. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Meaning, you're getting something, but it's not from God. Now, he will go on in the rest of this chapter to prove how he knows that. Jesus said, concerning false prophets, by their what, ye shall know them. By their fruits, ye shall know them. You know what? If a doctrine produces pride in the adherence. And by the way, you'll know it does when it produces contention and strife and debate. Paul said, uh, foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. Just stay away from that stuff. Hear people and the first thing they want to know is not do you believe that the Bible is the sole and final authority is, you know, are you 501c3 or do you celebrate Christmas or, you know, do you, do you believe in wearing a blue shirt on Sunday morning, you know. <laughs> when that's their first question, we got problems. You with me? That's problematic. We're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. And uh, I'm not saying those other issues don't matter. But in the Bible, there are issues that aren't plainly addressed. And uh, when that's what's going on, we ought to say, wait, 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 wait. Why is this producing this kind of, this kind of discourse, this contention and strife? And Paul mentions a number of things here, and it brings us to our next point, that helps us know immediately this can't be coming from God. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he's going to say, now the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. He says that's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, when a doctrine produces immorality, 
Meaning when you can tag, I'll say this, among independent Baptists, there are strains of thinking. And I can tell you, without going very far, I, I, I can think of a movement right now. Among their movement, the divorce and married, remarriage rate is extremely high because of what they teach on that issue. It's produced a tremendous amount of immorality. That tells me that doctrine did not come from God. We find uh, fruit like that, and you say, nah, nah, something's wrong. We go back, and Paul is going to point out there's some things wrong with what you're being taught, and that brings us to the significance of this leaven. Okay, The source, it's from an undisclosed human source, but we know it's not from a heavenly source. It did not come from the Spirit of God. It's a false persuasion that was obtained not from the Spirit of God, but someone teaching man's way of thinking, not what God says. So the significance, he mentions a number, there's a number of key words in this text, and this is really the heart of the message. In verse 1 he says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled. Verse 1 is a potential. Apparently they were not yet entangled, but they're getting there. So he says this, number one, this thing you're caught up in has the potential of wrapping you up. You can get all wrapped up in this. How many of you have met folks that claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead of speaking and bringing us back to faith in Christ, they're constantly on some periphery. So for instance, just help me here. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind, but if I say Adventist, do you think salvation or do you think Sabbath? That's the issue. Um, there are movements, and if, I, if we brought them, the name of that movement up, we'd say family, home. Well, we ought, to, we ought to have Christian families, but you will if you're founded on Christ. And when anything else becomes the central theme, uh, we believe in biblical separation, amen, from the world. But may I say this? I, I want the separation of my life to point to Christ, Christ does not exist to point to my separation. My separation exists to point people to Him. And when the focal point becomes the separation, I'm missing something. Separation is a Bible doctrine, but the purpose is to be able to have a clear testimony and say it's because of Jesus Christ to be able to point to Him. And so here, if you met the Galatian churches, you know what one of the first things they're going to bring up? Circumcision. Now how about circumcision? <laughs> if you meet a church of Christ... What's their, what's their defining issue? Baptism. Is baptism a good thing? Well, it depends. <laughs> if you're trusting it for your salvation, it's not. <laughs> so if you, you see what I'm saying? The, the, we're off course here. They've become entangled. There's an entanglement with, with uh, uh, an error. And so here they're getting entangled in the law. And Paul says the potential for you is to get all wrapped up. And you know what happens when you're entangled? You can't walk. You can't run. You can't fight. You can't serve. You can't sow. You can't water. If you're entangled, all you can do is try to get unentangled. So he says the potential is for you to be disabled in your labor for the Lord. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The entire context of this of this doctrine that had crept in was it was hindering them from serving the Lord. So number one, disabling of their labor. Number two, deterrence from their course that God had laid. We all have a course God has laid out for us. He has a will for our lives, how he wants us to live personally, the labor he wants us involved in, the holy living he wants us to, to, to be separated unto him so we live our lives to please him. Uh, the warfare we're to be engaged in, God has a course for our life. Paul says this in, uh, in verse, verses 4 and 7. He says, Christ has become of, what's he say next? No effect. No effect. If I back up to verse 2, he says, Behold, I, Paul, saying to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. I Meaning if you go back to this, he's not saying the physical operation of circumcision is a sinful or wrong thing. What he's saying is you get caught up with this and you get circumcised because they're preaching that's how you get justified, then Christ is going to have no fruit in your life. It's not going to profit you. Christ will not profit you. That word profit means that advantage or to, to benefit or to prevail or to be useful. The context is you are ruining your fruitfulness by getting caught up in this false doctrine. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to do the whole law. If you're going to do this, you've got to keep the whole law. Verse 4, Christ has become of, and here's this terminology again, of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. 
you're a follower from grace. He said, you've ceased to operate from the concept of grace, God giving you what you don't deserve. You've reversed that and said, now that I'm circumcised, I deserve to go to heaven. No, then Christ is not profiting you. It's of no effect to you. The word no, become of no effect means to render entirely idle or useless. Christ, if you go back to this false doctrine, you will become idle in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, he's of no effect. Yeah, and then the word fallen means this. There's the definition, to drop away, to specifically be driven out of one's course, figuratively to lose or become inefficient, to be cast or fail or fall away, to take none effect. The, the, the chilling effect of this doctrine was because they are now focused on their performance justifying them instead of focusing on the fact they're justified by faith in Christ, he said it will completely deter you from running the race God has set for you. We run our race from the assurance of salvation. And the moment you say, I'm not sure I'm saved because I'm not performing this X, Y, or Z, you have veered off your course. God's course for you is paved with the assurance that you are righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And this false doctrine was steering them off of that course. And so it had the potential to disable them through entanglement, but it was currently deterring them. He said, if you fall for this, if you go through with this, and you begin to put confidence in circumcision like you're being taught for justification, it will pull you. You have fallen from grace. You're not relying on the grace of God. You're relying on your performance, and you will cease to be effective in the work of God. This false doctrine will render you a fruitless Christian. Let me ask you this. If a person believes that part of their proving they're righteous is by their conformity to the law, and they hear a message like this, what effect is it going to have on them? Because they're already turned from the truth by the belief of a lie. And the fact of the matter is the, the, the gospel is preached to bring the lost to salvation, but it's preached to motivate us who are saved to go and represent Christ well in a world that needs to hear that gospel and know that it's true. One of the primary motivating factors for why you and I should live holy lives is so that others can see that the message we preach is true. Amen? That they not be offended away from the gospel of God because our lives are not faithfully representing the truth of it. And so then it has a disabling effect of their labor. It deters them from the course of God's will for their life. It was disturbing to them in their spirit. Look, if you would, at verse 12. Paul said, I would. They were even cut off, which, what's he say next? Trouble you. There are those that trouble you. Uh, the idea of the troubling there is to, just exactly what you think, to cause them to be disturbed in their spirit. You know what? There's a time, how do you know there's a difference in being accused by Satan and being reproved by the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. Accusation will fill your heart with intimidating fear. Reproof will lead you to a decision. There are times the Spirit of God through the preaching of God has just worked me over and shown me how wrong and sinful I am and I can't tell you the peace it gives me. That's the weirdest thing. I get peace from God telling me I'm wrong. You know why? Because my conscience already registered. Now I know why that's going on. Ah, I thought this, I made this decision, I was out of line with God's word, now I know what's wrong. That's what reproof does. Accusation? I didn't think, I thought I was saved. But I'm not keeping the Sabbath, maybe I'm not saved. I thought I was saved, but I enjoy bacon for breakfast, maybe I'm not saved. We chuckle, but it happens, Right? And God said, no, 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 hey, that's, it's troubling you. The, the, the effect on them was not assurance and confidence in the Lord and a confidence that now I know, I'm going to tell you something. Your energy to run your race is from the confidence that you're a child of God. And so Satan will do everything he can to rob you of that. And that's what this doctrine did. It troubled them. Were they, if they were keeping the law, were they keeping it well enough? Never. It's I'm telling you, all you could ever do is have trouble and more trouble. Well, I've started incorporating this, but we've not incorporated the feast days yet, and I'm not exactly sure how. I'm not sure. We're trying to be kosher in our diet, but, eh, you know, I'm not sure if we're doing it right. Trouble, trouble, trouble. And so then the effect was disabling them through entanglement, deterring them from their course by making them ineffective, uh, unprofitable in the work of the Lord, 
disturbing their spirit. Notice verse 15, what Paul says. But if ye bite and devour one another. Ooh. You know what else it was leading to? Contention and strife. Meaning, well, pastor hasn't dealt with that family yet. They've been coming here six months and they still haven't had their boys circumcised. I'm not sure what's going on, but we better deal with this now. I don't think those people are really saved. They're not, they're not lining up with the law like they should, and the leadership won't deal with them. Boy, all of a sudden, you gotten your kids taken care of yet? No, we haven't been able to schedule an appointment yet. Oh, I tell you, this people, well, we've done it all perfectly right. You know, we've got, we have, we have no pork in our home and have not now for six months. You still have pork in your home? Well, yeah, because mother-in-law lives with us and she doesn't believe like there's none of that was even necessary. There are things, you know what, divide families because there is a disloyalty to God. If somebody in the home living in sin, open, known sin, we're talking about going back and conforming to Mosaic law, which that's done. Here we have all, you know what, false doctrine always appeals to the pride of man, and pride always foments contention and strife. Only by pride cometh contention, but with well-advised wisdom. Look at James 3.17. James 3.17. The Bible deals with wisdom that is not from above and wisdom that is from above. It says in James 3, verse, let's go all the way back to verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, that's where it begins, by the way, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first, what is it first? Pure. By the way, it's pure before it's peaceable. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. May I say this? There are times I see, especially in my responsibility as a pastor, which is to be an elder in the faith, someone overseeing and looking after the spiritual progress of others. There are times in the lives of others you're going to clearly see there are some things in their life that does not line up with their profession of faith in Christ, and it's sinful and it's wrong. Now, the best thing to do is for me to run over member A and tell them about member B and say, I'm sure you've noticed so-and-so and that they're doing X, Y, and Z, and yang, 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 right... You know, when you, when you see that, uh, when you see a lack of spiritual growth in somebody's life, if you're a spiritual person, if you're a mature Christian, you know what it does? It concerns you. Now, don't misunderstand. There's a, there's a temptation of all of our flesh to say that's problematic. But you know what? When you feel like you are justified by your deeds and you see someone else that's not where you are, you know what that does? Well, they're certainly not as righteous as I and then you know what that does? Well, we got to bite and devour. And it does not descend from above. It's rooted in pride. Whereas if we believe we're justified by faith in Christ, then the brand new born again baby Christian who has a lot of growth and a lot of sanctification needs to take place is as saved as anybody else is. Truth? And the need for their growth hasn't to do with them being justified. It has to do with them being sanctified in their lives and representing Christ well. And so... Uh, the disturbance of their spirit, the discord among brethren. So we find four basic things Paul points out here. They were being disabled in their labor, deterred from their course, disturbed in their spirit, and there was discord among the brethren. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This did not come from the Holy Spirit of God because of the fruit it renders. Now, there's a, my mind goes to many places I'm going through this. Undoubtedly, Anytime there's conflict, any kind that we could accuse the Lord. Wherever where he went, he said, I came not to bring peace but a sword. Let me ask you something. When Jesus went and preached the truth, who started the discord? Pharisees and the, the proud ones. Oh, well, who then is my neighbor? Instead of just saying, I'm a sinner, well, who then is my neighbor? There's always going to be a level of contention because there's always going to be contentious people. But you understand, this leavenous false doctrine had turned this into a backbiting, devouring church. People ruining each other through gossip and slander, 
How many of us have seen churches that takes over? Anytime you see a church body where the members begin to start eating each other up through slander and gossip and backbiting, underneath that somewhere is a false belief, a misunderstanding of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves toward one another. Amen? If a brother is in sin, do we not have a biblical recourse? If a brother is in error, do we not have a way we're supposed to go about it? There is a way. And, uh, and you at your spiritual, the Bible says, Galatians 6, we'll see is to restore such in one, the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves. And so there's a right way to go about dealing with an errant brother. Backbiting and slandering is not it. And so we understand the significance of the leaven. Finally, the solution to the leaven. Obviously, in the context of this passage, okay, the leaven is the false doctrine that they were justified by the deeds of the law. By keeping the law, they were to make themselves righteous. That's the false doctrine. It did not come from God. The significance was it was disabling them and deterring them and disturbing them and causing discord among them. Finally, the solution, well, obviously, it was revelation of the problem. The solution is seen right here. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is revealing this is wrong. This is not from God. This is not the gospel you having preached. This is another gospel. It's not a gospel. There are times the preaching of God's word does have to be negative. To say this is a persuasion that's coming in. It is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. It's not from God. You know what he's telling the Galatians then? Repent of this thing. <laughs> You've got to be done with this. This, uh, this. this doctrine that's creeping in is not to be accepted by you. I'll just bring us up to speed, current, modern day, right where we live. On a regular basis out of this pulpit, we, you're hearing preaching on false liberty, liberty that gives us the license to yield to our flesh, liberty that gives any kind of Christian liberty you have that gives you liberty to be a fornicator, an adulterer, a drunkard, an arrogant, haughty, covetous person is not liberty. So you know what Bonner's Prairie Baptist Church needs to have deep in the heart a resolve to say, we want nothing to do with that. And if somebody comes around here peddling this nonsense that being in Christ liberates to live a licentious life, they can either get right with God or go somewhere else. Amen. That's, we're not interested in that here. We want to serve Christ. We want to serve the one that has already justified us. We do not want to serve our flesh. God saved us from that, out of that nonsense. And any movement that's taking us that way, we want nothing to do with it. We need to get that settled. Radical grace. We need, this church doesn't need to toy around with the preachers of some kind of radical grace. Uh, there are men that are well known for that today, and they take the grace of God, and they twist that thing and pervert it. And it's what brings you to this false sense of liberty that God's grace abounds to make you happy and all this nonsense. But it's common in our day, and it's sweeping independent Baptist circles. And it saddens my heart to see good churches going the wrong way. And so the point would be this. There had to be a revelation of the problem. This is the false doctrine. Paul gets very specific in chapter 5. This is what I'm talking about. This is how you've been seduced. This is the doctrine. So there has to be a revelation of the problem. Letter B, there need to be a reestablishment of principles. In the midst of revealing what's wrong in the reproof and rebuke, there's an exhortation. Paul is minding his own instruction. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Notice what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, for we through the Spirit. So he's already dealt with, if you're putting confidence in your circumcision, you're going to become, Christ is of no effect to you. Then he says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness. And by the way, we're not hoping to get righteous. The hope he means is we have hope because of righteousness. <laughs> the hope of righteousness is the hope we have because of the righteousness of Christ and we wait for that by faith. He's calling them back to your job is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, not your natural performance, not your capability, but him. We wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Verse 6, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, confidence in the Savior, which worketh by love. And by the way, we love him because... He first said, you see what Paul's doing? He's reestablishing them in the principle of faith and love. You trust the Lord because he's trustworthy and you love him because he loved you. We are not operating in the sense of self-confidence or in the sense of pride or self-righteousness. We operate by faith in him 
and love for him. So he's reestablishing them in the principles of true Bible Christianity. Verse 11, by the way, love for God and love for man will keep you doing right. He'll deal with that here in a minute. Uh, he says, verse 11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. He's dealing with the fact that one of the reasons these men are preaching this is you're not persecuted for preaching that you can make yourself righteous through performance. No, no, no one's persecuted for that. You know what? Do you know when false religions get persecuted? When they are falsely perceived to be genuine Christians. Do you know why Muslims persecute Catholics? I'm not trying to be unkind. Because they think they're actually believers in Christ. <laughs> when they find out that's not true, they'll all get together and get along. And they're doing that already in many places. What happens is when you say, no, you can't do anything to make yourself righteous. The only thing you can do is trust Jesus Christ. That's where persecution comes from. That's what Paul's saying. He said, if I'm preaching circumcision, somebody may be saying, well, that's what Paul preaches, then why am I persecuted? <laughs> no, there's an offense attached to preaching the cross. It offends the pride of man. And what he's saying is they are avoiding the preaching of the cross, that what Jesus did on the cross is what is necessary to save you because they know they'll be persecuted if they preach that. Truth, when you offend somebody's pride, they're going to persecute. You know why Cain, you know why Cain persecuted Abel? Because Abel was justified by faith. Cain said, I have dug this ground. I have raised these vegetables. Look what I have produced. And Abel says, yeah, look what I've produced. And what he produced was a dead lamb with blood slain. Abel said, look what I've produced, death of the innocent for the guilty. Abel owned what he was by faith, a sinner in need of a substitute, the blood of a lamb. Cain says, I don't need anything to die for me. I can produce a life of fruitfulness on my own. That's exactly what was being taught right here. I don't need Jesus Christ. I can go back to the law. Man, I'll tell you something. You can go back and perform the law. Christ died in vain. Eh? And so then Paul says, one of the reasons uh, that they are avoiding the truth is because of the persecution, and I, I'm still persecuted because of the offense of the cross. He's reestablishing them in the principles of faith, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and he uses the, the concept of persecution to establish that. Verse 13 and 14, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. You've been liberated from the bondage. You're not bound to the law anymore. Only, only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. We covered that in detail last week. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Now, I know there's many words here. He's saying one, one message here, one word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You want, you want to get the fulfillment of your responsibility to your fellow man. You love him like you love yourself. That's what Jesus said. And then he goes on to say, but if you bite and devour one another, then something's wrong. Uh, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. You know what he's saying? In your supposed law-keeping, you're violating the law. In your supposed keeping of the letter, you are violating the Spirit. You know what? You are so consumed with how perfectly you're fulfilling the letter of the law that you are backbiting, slandering, and destroying the lives of other people, which is not loving your neighbor as yourself. It's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were using the law to establish their own righteousness in the process, robbing widows' houses, teaching dishonor to parents, and denying and crucifying the Son of God because they went about to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. So the solution is revelation of the problem, reestablishment of the principles of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and love for God as a result of the love shown for us when he died on the cross. Insomuch we'll be persecuted for being loyal to faith, loyally to faith in the cross rather than faith in our performance. And then finally, letter, or two, more, two more points here. Realignment of perspective, verse 9. They, I believe, thought they had a superior doctrine. Paul says, I want you to see what's happening. You are being defiled. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Uh, he is referencing back to, I believe, the Lord Jesus' warning about hypocrisy. You claim to be righteous, but you're behaving in an unrighteous fashion. You claim that your, your conformity to the letter of the law is making you righteous and you are living ungodly like you did before you got saved. You're biting and devouring one another. You're in sin and you are being affected and influenced by this false doctrine. He wants them to see this correctly. You are not being affected well, but ill. A little leaven, Jesus had warned, uh, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is hypocrisy, sin in our flesh and Sin in doctrine always results in sin of lifestyle 
and uh, the sin permeates every aspect of our lives. So letter D, he says the solution to the problem is you've got to remove it. Verse 12, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. That is a double meaning. He's referring to the operation of circumcision and the cutting away. He said, what I wish is that these people were cut away from you because of the evil influence they're having on your life. May I say this? A good time to remind us, you need to take inventory, and I need to take inventory. Are there things in my life that are affecting the works of the flesh, which we'll see in the end of Galatians 5? Are there things in my life that are leading me into sin, leading me to thinking and persuasions that are getting me out of what I know to be the course of God's will. If so, it needs to be cut off. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. I just say this, young people, you need to take a constant inventory of your life and say, what is encouraging and enabling me and influencing me to fulfill God's will in my life and what is hindering me? We middle-aged people need to be taking constant inventory of our lives. What is enabling me and encouraging me and helping me serve the Lord and what's hindering me? And when it has an established pattern of hindering me, it needs to be cut off. Look with you, if you would, as we conclude here very shortly, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The leaven here in 1 Corinthians 5 was known sin in the church, known immorality in the church, verifiable sin. 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5. Verse 5, obviously being liberated from the letter of the law doesn't change the definition of sin. That's not what's being dealt with here, but how we deal with sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, he says concerning the one living in fornication in the church, to deliver one, such an one uh, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul is even saying about this man, he's saved, but you've got to turn him over to the devil so God can deal with him because of sin in his life that he may be ultimately saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He said there's sin in the church, and the only way that your church can deal with this is you've got to get the sin out of the church. So either the man has sin, sin, he's got to go. You've got to turn him over, get him out of, under, uh, from the umbrella of the protection of the church so that God, he said, turn him over to Satan. So he's not under the protection, God's protection, part of the local church. So that then perhaps he'll repent, but you've got to get the sin out. When it comes to the Galatians, he's saying the same thing. I wish they were cut off that are affecting you. There has to be a cutting off of false doctrine. There has to be cut off of, 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 of sinful living. Uh, we have to deal with that collectively as a church. We have to deal with it personally in our lives. And here in Galatians, there was undoubtedly a false doctrine being taught in that church. And Paul says, you've, you've got, it's got to go. It needs to be cut off. And uh, that begins with cutting it off from our heart and mind. Saying, I won't defend it. I won't defend it. If God says that doctrine is errant, if God says it's not of him, then I'm going to say it's not of him. I'm not going to defend it. Why don't we sometimes do this? Why don't we deal with the leaven and get it out of our lives? It's just a practical question. And the answer seems to be found in a preference of personality over principle. For every leaven, leaven gets attached to people. Right? And this is the struggle, it's the battle, it's where the test of our loyalty to Christ comes in. When I know that there is a doctrine being taught that is in conflict with the word of my Savior, am I going to retain it because of who's promoting it? Or say my loyalty is to him over them. I don't know how popular the man in 1 Corinthians 5 was, but obviously the church, knowing he was living this way, had just let him stay in glory. Look at what a gracious, forgiving church we are. We have a man living in our church that's a Christian like the rest of us, and he's living in fornication. Paul says, your glorying is not good. You've got sin in the church. You've got to deal with that. And so the solution to the leaven is it's got to be removed. Once it's been revealed, we need reestablishing the principles of truth, realign our perspective according to the truth, and then remove the problem. And God has a way for that to be done. Amen. If it's, in a, if it's a problem that's just in me, then I just need to deal with it. If I've got a false belief system in relation to the Bible, God show me, I didn't tell you to believe this. It's not in my word. Well, that's a matter of repentance between me and the Lord. When it's in a family, we have to deal with it in the home. A dad needs to sit the family down. So this has is, this is crept into our home. This is what we're going to deal with. May I say this? Leaven comes in from time to time. 
But when it does, we need to see it, identify it, and remove it. We are in an age today that says grace is not removing it. Grace is keeping it and saying we just love everybody. That's that false grace that we want nothing to do with. No, no. Grace finds the way, by the grace of God, not to ignore the problems, but to address them and deal with them. If it's an error, it needs to be removed. Let's stand tonight.